Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education our way. Hey, everybody. We are uh, live and very excited to be here with our new friend, Mike Oswald, who is a senior loan officer with New American Funding. He has been in the mortgage business for 21 years, uh, which is so much time. So we're going to learn a ton today about probably what's happening um, in the world of mortgages, which we need to know because it's all over the place and it's literally affecting our side of the business. Um, but yeah, Mike is, is amazing. He's got tons and tons of experience. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage business, Mike? Oh, okay. Thanks, Lindsay. Angela, I, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for giving me this time. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, What's that? We're gonna grill you just so you know. Yeah, no, that's cool. I need I need to be grilled. Um, keeps me home. Yeah. We're just about mortgages, so yeah. And, be yeah. <laughs> and your intro is so awesome. You know, it's like the, how you describe being in the real estate business. You know, like the you know it's funny and the lending business kind of same thing. I mean, we're like the cousins, right? This you know the real estate lender cousin step, you know step brother and sister or whatever you want to call it relationship. Um. I got into this business kind of, you know, by chance. I was in telecommunications for a year, selling like business communications, that type of thing, worked for AT&T. And then what's funny is they had a telecom crash, mm -hmm. believe it or not, people don't realize that. They had a Worldcom, all this, right around 9-11. And so, I mean, I'm really old, by the way. And uh, I I was like, I want to get out. AT&T was laying off and my buddy owned a mortgage brokerage. And so I was like, yeah. And he had been doing really well. And I went to school with him. So he was always talking to me about it. So I went over and said, what the heck? I'll give it a shot. Straight commission, of course, scared as hell. And first conversation he had with me and, and anybody who's been in the business prior to the crash of the real estate crash in 08, 09. First thing he said is there's two types of loans. There's the full document loan and there's the stated income loan. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What's, and then that began the journey, you know, like stated income, stated asset, all this stuff that we did during those years from 01 to whatever, 09 it was. And uh, I worked for a broker for a while and then got and worked for a builder, worked for Pulte Mortgage for a number of years, um, really honed my skills there. I mean, the volume was stupid, uh, 40 files a month. Angela and I both come from the builder world too. So yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And I, and I think the volume was even sicker there because it was doing, you know, no ratio loans, no stated loan. I mean, if there were income docs in the file, it was like, you know, they rejected it, you know, it's like, you know, that type of thing. And, um, and so it was so, and then I got out and got into wholesale on the subprime side and was supporting brokers. And so what was really interesting in the Denver market was, and I'm sure it was like this everywhere, is you go to a building and there'd be a mortgage broker on every floor. Yeah. And I literally would spend the day at my building supporting my brokers, going around, handing out flyers and 
doing whatever and trying to get deals. And it was literally files stacked on desks. I mean, it was just, it was nuts. And obviously this is before really guidelines and, you know, appraisals were just a, you know, Hey, throw it in the file. Oh, it Matt, you know, it worked. Let's go forward. That type of thing. And then the crash. Glory right? days. What? <laughs> the glory days. I'm not supposed to say the glory days because they're the glory days <laughs> and all the trouble days, but you know, it, it, it's no. like, yeah, I know it was, it was, it was easier. That's for sure. Yeah. It was a lot easier. Um, and it, it, you know, I mean, there's, we could spend hours talking about what maybe the outcome and the detriment to that, you know, as far as obviously the crash happened and I suddenly was like wholesale was gone. Subprime was gone. And I found myself kind of quarter one out in the streets and one of my brokers hired me which was funny. He was like, and I did not originate loans per se. I was a wholesale lender, right? It was pretty interesting. I didn't know how to calculate income because I didn't, we didn't have income programs. So it was really a period of time, you know, like of a transition. And I went under his wing. So it's be great, great guy taught me a ton. And then, you know, my journey from there and I went to work for various kind of lenders and then was at New American Funding for about five years, left for a couple of years. And now I've been back since the first of the year. So, you know, pretty big breath of kind of experience um and living through that crash then is kind of helping today not that we're in a crash but definitely in a market adjustment that's uh, uh what the hell are we in let's start <laughs> so let me back up before we go there mike can lend in 48 states in the united states so not hawaii and not new york city sorry hawaii and new york but you're off the yeah. But for anyone else that's listening, uh, Mike is a great content all across the country. So, and also his information is helpful all across the country. So what the hell is happening, Mike? I, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's a byproduct of what we've gone through in the last really 10 years since the crash, right? We've had a various things happen since then, obviously the recovery economically, the federal the government, the Federal Reserve, the banks that are really appointed and, and are influenced by legislation, which I mean, they're not supposed to be, but they are, have really um, propped us up financially um, to help, you know, quantitative easing. That's a term that was used and thrown out. And basically, they just injected money into the economy through various ways. And that's been going on for years. Then we had what happened in 20, really early 2020. I don't even have to say it. We all know it, right? COVID, right? Hit. And that was really an anomaly unto itself where it was a forced shutdown, right? It's one thing if the market adjusts and businesses go under and like right now, lenders are laying off and, you know, realtors are getting out of the business, lenders getting out, you know, whatever the, you know, builders, supply, all that are being adjusted naturally. But the government came in and said, no one can do business, Right. And so to prop that up, they threw a bunch of, you know, pumped a bunch of money into the economy. When I say a bunch, you know, trillion. it's like a trillion, trillions, you know, like money that's inconceivable. And so what it's done is it's really caused an inflationary situation, which is the big word right now is inflation. And the inflation's out of control. It's really super high. It's a 40 year high. And inflation is a, is a deal killer for the economy. I mean, I'm no economist, right? And you can go on and I do what everybody else can do. Just get on and study and, you know, memberships on Housing Wire and MBA and, and everything. And I try to educate myself. But 
from what I read, I mean, the, econ the economy, our, the U.S. economy as a whole, we have to get inflation under control. It's like a cancer. You got to get it out, cut it out, radiate it out somehow, or at least put it in remission or it can kill the host, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So can you put it in perspective for people? What are the rates right now on average for VA FHA conventional, like across the right board? Right around that high six, low seven okay. range. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. to put it in perspective, when my parents were buying a house, they got a really awesome interest rate of 13% on their Pulte <laughs> home in Orlando um, when I was four years old. Um, and they were super excited about it. It was $80,000, but, um, yeah. you know, like the problem is people don't understand when you put that in perspective, we're still not in a bad place. Like it's always a good time to buy a home. Now is a good time to buy a home. Just like it was three months ago. Even if you were going to overpay for the house, quote unquote, that's what the market was worth. Your house was worth what you were willing to spend on it. Sure. So people I think are very confused by that particular fact right there. Um, and so my number two question is, we have a lot of realtors that don't understand what a 2-1 buy-down is, and they're throwing that terminology around like it's water, and they don't know what it means. Or they're throwing it around, we've seen this too, um, they're throwing it around like it's going to cause a crash. Because it's, it's, yeah. yeah, like talk about the difference between stated income, no doc, interest only, and a two one, like Angel and I used to sell the shit out of two one yeah. buy down all the time. The the neighborhood on two one buy down. <laughs> you get a two one buy down. You get a two one buy down. Because <laughs> guess what? The tax rate was really high in there, um, and so that was my way around it. I was either paying off debt or buying down the interest rate because it's not. People don't remember how long are you going to stay in your home, on average. Here in Colorado Springs, it's a little bit shorter period of time. It's usually, you know, three to five years mm -hmm. is how long you're going to stay in your home here in Colorado Springs. Lindsay's area is probably a little bit different, but we have I a cyclical market because of the military. Mm -hmm. So a 2 one buy-down is nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't have anything to do with the amount of equity you're going to have when you sell it later. It just means your payment's going to be cheaper for the first two years, and you can refinance at any time. But for right now, I would leave it alone. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, no, awesome. Run down on what it is and how can we explain it to our clients, like dumb it down for the realtor? Because we are sometimes dumber than the client and we overcomplicate things. Well, you know, I, I mean, it's 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 tough. Lending is so in defense of all realtors out there, and I love you all. And this is, uh, you know, obviously a win win relationship for all of us. And lending is key and real estate. We have to work together, and lending's hard. Like real estate's hard, but it's different. I mean, you're dealing with the you know, people and all that and the buyers and all that more emotional, like, and it's, that's what they're buying. Right. And the lending is like, you know, if it's, you know, this number, it's gotta be this, oh, you did this. Now we got to do this. It's like that the story, the never ending story. Like, oh, you go left, take this door. Now you go here and you got to do this. Right. We used to joke like, Hey, the, you know, we need a red spoon. Oh, yesterday that was a red spoon. Today we need it to be blue, you know, like. And that's lending, right? So I don't blame you. That's why good lender partner, you know, partnership is key. So I'll say that. Um, I love buy down. Te they're called temporary buy downs, like you referenced, the two one buy down. A huge fan. I'm closing them as we speak. I closed. I closed several um, VA and FHA and conventional. And here's essentially how they work. 
It's a 30-year fixed loan. So let's say it's 6.75, right? 30-year fixed. Everybody's like, oh, that rate, the payment and everything. Great. In a market where the rates are high, like we have, and you have sellers that are looking to offer concessions, right? Whether they're going to reduce the price or give closing costs. It's got to be a seller paid buy down. The buyer can't even, the borrower, buyer can't even pay for it. The lender can pay for it, but not in the rate environment we're in. There's not enough, the rates are too high and there's not a separate conversation, but there's not a par rate right now or very, the rates are so wackadoo in the market that you almost have to pay something to get a certain rate. You can't like, oh, increase my rate so I don't have to pay anything. There's no high rate like that anymore because of the volatility. So it's seller paid. So what you do is you say, okay, Mr. Borrower, you're going to get a 6.75 rate, but but the cost to do a 2-1 buy down is $10,000, which is the savings that the buyer gets over the first two years. So year one, they're going to pay 4.75. Year two, they pay 5.75. And year three through 30, they pay 6.75. And the savings is big, right? 2% on a $500,000 loan, it's five, 600 bucks a month. So the savings on that first year, the second year, that total amount is what the seller gives in a concession to pay it. And it's averaging anywhere from 10 to 12 grand on a 2-1 buy down right now, an average loan amount. It's all based on the loan amount. So someone who puts 10% down versus 20 is gonna, you know, 20% is gonna pay less. Seller's gonna have to give less. So what it does is it lets buyers transition into that payment because typically they're moving up in payment whether they're moving from renting to buying or they're buying you know they're, they're moving up in home right their two-bedroom house now they have two kids they're buying a four-bedroom house bigger loan amount higher interest rate their rate probably has got a three in front of it now or the renter i mean rent's high but it's not you know quite as high. i mean it can be a little bit more when you buy you know obviously a little bigger house so it helps buyers transition and it also can be a value add for your sellers, right? As agents, you can go to your seller and say, let's not discount the price. Let's mm-hmm. offer some money that really is a win-win. Because look, if I'm gonna get the house for 10 grand less today and I'm gonna be in this house for five years, do I really care? Like, ooh, I saved 10 grand on the, I won't even remember what I paid for it five years from now. Right. So $10,000 savings, um, like dropping the price by $10,000 is literally going to change your payment by like $8. Yeah, exactly. It does nothing. Yeah. Changing your interest rate to, you know, a buy down 2% less for the first year to 4.75, that's going to be several hundred dollars a month savings. So that's that's a much better use of the money. And I think that a lot of realtors are not doing that. The other thing that I'm not seeing a lot of um, when people are listing their houses is they're not advertising a assumption um, here in Colorado Springs. We have lots of those VA assumable mm-hmm. at a much lower rate, but they're afraid of them, which I know mortgage lenders don't love them, but they are a huge opportunity for people if they do have some money in the bank to put down that difference because that's a massive change. That's a permanent rate at honestly, a lot of them are in the twos. Like that's a massive savings. And I don't know that we're going to ever see that number again on a permanent fixed rate mortgage. Um, so I think that agents are not doing a good job of telling that story either. Cause I'm seeing 90% of our listings here in the MLS are not assumable. And I'm like, um, why? <laughs> yeah. Especially in the Springs. Cause there's a lot of right. VA down there, a lot of government FHA, yes. VA. 
Um, no, agreed. I think the buy or the um, the assumable loan is unique and and is an opportunity. Definitely, if you have the right buyer, that's got that difference between purchase price and whatever the loan balance is to bridge that gap. That's the one thing. But yeah, it's huge. And and so listing agents should be aware of that. Say, hey, what is your current loan? Is it an assumable loan? And then make that those notes at least in the listing to say, hey, we have an assumable loan here. Um, again, another incentive to differentiate your listing from everyone else's, the listing down the street, right? Assumable loan, buy down that the seller's giving and have those numbers worked out, right? Like I'm calling, you know, I always call on agents, lenders, are, you guys probably get, you're probably getting a phone call right now as we speak from a lender, you know, hey. We all about the summer solstice or some shit like that. <laughs> we come out of the woodwork, we have our moments, right? You know, but just like all, we're, we're, we're prospecting, right? We're trying to engage, trying to get re- relationships, you know, and get business, you know, like everybody else. But what's important is as a listing agent, you need to understand these temporary buy downs because Big time. it's hard to sell houses. That, I mean, it's harder, right? It's it, You got to differentiate yourself. And if you just give, hey, let's reduce the price. Okay. Everybody's doing that. But be able to have that conversation. And, and go and say, okay, based on the purchase price, the average down payment, here's what it looks like. Like if I'm the lender with a, and one of you had a listing, I'd say, great. All right, Lindsay, the listing is six, whatever, 600, 10% down, 20% down, not 5% down. Here's what the buy down would look like, right? So here's what it would cost your seller. And here's what you could offer. And so if an agent reaches out and say, we're interested, all right, what's this concession? What's the buy down mean? Here's what it means. Here's literally what your buyer is going to say. And if your buyer's lender doesn't know how to explain or qualify them for that, they need to find a new lender or at least another loan officer at that lender. I will say too, the other thing that I'm seeing, I'm sure Lindsay's seen the same thing because she does a lot of listings as well. Um, I'm seeing buyers canceling for no reason. um, And a really good way for a listing agent, because as a listing agent in this kind of a market, you are running the entire transaction. Yes, there is a buyer's agent. However, you will be the objection overcomer. You are going to be the one that gets this thing to the finish line. So the more power you have and the more control over the the transaction, the easier it's going to be for you. So something that I'm going to start doing after I talk to my attorney to make sure I'm allowed to do this um, is I'm going to offer um, with three lenders that we will do a two one buy down for you, um, not to exceed X amount of dollars on all of my listings. Um, if you choose one of these three lenders, we will pay for it for you. Um, if not, we're not going to pay for it for you. You're going to have to negotiate with everybody else. Um, but I at least know if you're going to use one of my lenders that they're going to do whatever they can to keep the transaction together. And having a little bit more control in this market is such a big deal. Uh, getting more players on your team is really what you want to do. And honestly, I kind of am running it like I did when I was selling new homes where I was working for the seller. The yeah. buyer's agent was there in theory just show up at closing. Like I'll take care of the whole thing. Like it'll just be a lot easier if I just do it all. Um, But I feel like that's like the easiest way for us to get back a little bit more control over this whole buyers canceling for no reason thing. Um, You know, if we have that lender contact that can be in there, you're also saying, Hey, um, you know, the seller is going to take care of that for you. Um, You know, I know the listing agent, we're going to get this to the closing. Like preferred, preferred lenders. Again, listen to what she said, check your state regulations, talk to your broker, talk to your attorney first, but no, you're right. Because Mike and I were at a conference a week ago, two weeks ago. I don't even know now, yeah, um, but it was interesting 
I was sitting next to a lender, not Mike, um, and not someone from Mike's company for, you know, one of the days and, and I heard him on the phone and he said he was new. He'd been in the business, um, eight months, which, oh my God, poor child, right? Like what a time to decide to be a loan officer. Um, but you know, he, he was like, oh my God, I have a really big problem. He's talking on the phone to someone I'm assuming is that, you know, his mentor, whoever, whatever you guys call that, like his broker is yeah, his, yeah. His managing his guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, he's like, I, I have a really big problem. Um, you know, these guys went under contract on a house and when I pre-qualified them, it was four, five months ago. And now I have to call them and tell them that rates are two, 3% higher than they were when I pre-qualified them. And I don't think they qualify. Right. So, I mean, yeah, not, not good. So, um, buyers, agents, you know, you have to be like, I don't care if your buyers got a pre-approval yesterday, right now, you need to be making sure that they're qualified before you go under contract on something. And right. you have a great lender who knows what the hell is happening. I think too, a lot of agents right now are like, oh my God, you're a buyer that wants to buy a house. Let's go look at houses right now. Yeah. Instead of let's make sure you're really qualified first. Um, I think that that's going to be, you know, a huge issue is people going under contract and actually not being qualified. Um, and so that's the other reason why I'm doing what I'm doing with the preferred lenders, just like the builders do. The builders all have their preferred lenders because they want to have some form of control over it. Um, they want to know first if these people are not qualified or if it's going to cost them another couple thousand dollars to buy down the rate a little bit more. Uh, you know, if there's a problem, they're going to know first and we'll be able to fix it instead of there's a problem. We don't qualify. We have to cancel. That's not a solution. There's a problem, but there's always a fix for the problem unless that client has really shit credit, in which case they shouldn't have been under contract in the first place. Usually sure. there's a solution to whatever the problem is, but a lot of agents are not, uh, you know, problem solving agents. And I really am. And I'd like to have a little bit more of that control back so I can make sure that we get to the closing table instead of me having to work twice as hard oh, and yeah. on the market again. A lot of lenders are not problem problem solving lenders though too. Like raise your hand, Angela, if you've ever had a deal, either your buyer or the buyer is not like you're the listing agent where it's fallen apart and you've brought in your own lender and they've saved it. Like it happens like, like last week. I've been that lender. Yeah. 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 The lender that saved it. Yeah. 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 No, no, I get it. I mean, I love it. I, I applaud you, Angela and, and Lindsay, for for approaching it this way. I mean, I'm a huge component of that. For example, for years and still to this day, even more so, I will not give a pre-approval letter unless I have a loan, 100%. So I need their app, their application, their documents, the required, whatever I need, you know, like, and it can vary if you got somebody that's like buttoned up, dialed in. I mean, I don't need to beat them up for everything, but if you got a guy that's Mr. OT bonus, you know, this three jobs in the last two years, you know, I need verification of employment. I, if I need what I need, you're not getting a letter. So if you want to, you know, I have some agents, if you want to run out and show them houses and then next thing you know, Hey, we found a house. I, I can't, I can't give you a letter um, because I do not want an issue. Now that sometimes I lose business as it were, but I'd rather, I never say yes. And then it turns into a no period yeah. end of story. And that's been my mantra for a long, long time because it's the kiss of death. Not only is it, ruin relationships but it crushes the transaction the, 
I mean, it's just horrible. And we've all, you've all been involved in that on probably the other side. Uh, but I love it as a listing agent, take control, do approach it like the builder, offer those incentives to say, Hey, you have to talk to one of my preferred and giving them choices is great. You're not saying, Hey, you need to talk to Mike at new American. You can talk to Mike and Joe and Lisa at wherever. Right. And yes, that's fine. Let us, yeah. Let us compete, you know, let us earn the business. Maybe we're a better fit not and that type of thing. And that's, that's cool. But taking control of it because you know, there's a lot of lenders that don't do what they need to do. And maybe realtors, you just reference that run around and, and offer, make offers. And, and right now you can do that because there's, it's a buyer's market before you, you know, it didn't make sense because you, you know, the com competition of the market. So I'm so when you're talking it. about um, having a preferred lenders list. I think it's always super important to have two brokers and one bank. Uh, can you talk about the differences between a broker and a bank, like who your underwriting company is? Is it like UWM or something um, or whatever that is? You can explain that to agents so they understand what that means. Absolutely. The difference between direct and not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So New American Funding, we are a direct lender and a servicer. So there's three levels, really. There's three. There's the bank, their direct bank that services. So New American is one. There's not that many of us in our section, but then the ones that are in our group are like Wells Fargo, Chase, the direct banks, right? You go to them, get the loan, but no one sends buyers to Chase, Wells and all of them, right? Because why? They don't do a good job. They're not built for speed. They're not built for that. They're just built. They do loans as a side thing in addition, you know? So New American funding, and there's a few of us out there that we fund the loan, it's all in-house, 100%, and we keep the loan. So they make their payments to New American Funding. The mortgage statement is New American Funding. The realtor, the agent is co-branded on our marketing. So holidays, birthday, loan anniversary, the mortgage statement, once a quarter, the agent's information on the mortgage. I mean, it's full servicing. So that's really neat. And that is total control. The other lender, not broker, is are the lenders that fund the loan at closing and the buyer makes the payment to Mr. Cooper or some other servicing company that the loan gets sold to right away. That lender does not collect one single payment ever. It's called a correspondent lender. Now, they'll have in-house underwriting and all that, but that is not going to be the lender of choice. So there's no marketing. There's no follow-up. There's no nothing there, right? doing a little bit of a pitch here, by the way, too, in explaining this. But so you've got that, too. And then you've got the broker where it's a wholesale. So if it's like Mike's lending broker shop, right, I originate the loan. And then when I choose a lender, UWM is really popular, the biggest wholesale lender. I send it to UWM. So I upload everything to UWM. It gets assigned to an underwriter. There's a processing on that. There's all this. And it's with them. And then I'm working with them to get it. And then once it's cleared, closings with them, fundings with them. So you have that disconnect, right, of control because it's not in-house. I can't just walk down the hall, knock on my underwriter's door, so to speak, and say, hey, I got a, I got a question. You know, I can't call, you know, my regional and say, hey, I need, you know, an exception done here. If you do, it's with them. So there's that little bit of a disconnect there. And that's the broker world. Mm-hmm. How do rates differ between the direct lending, the broker, and the bank? I was just going to bring up, too, if you get pre-approvals right now from, like, 
lending tree or lime weird rocket mortgage like all these weird online lenders right now you better be double checking those people with an actual lender because i think buyers are shopping so hard because rates are high they're desperately looking for a lower rate and there's all these companies out there that are insane that they'll never get a loan through so yeah it's it's so it's it's exactly it's price and service right so you typically can't get both, right? You can't get the lowest rate with the best service. And what a service means, it's truthful, honest approach. You're approved and this is real. It's a real approval. It done is done quickly. Being able to close a loan in two weeks, having things not change, communicating with not only the borrower, the buyer, but all both agents, transaction coordinators, all of that, right? Really doing a great job to get that loan from contract to close. So at the end of it, they're like, Lindsay and Angela, rock stars, five stars, their lender, five stars. I'm referring everybody, right? The other side of it is I got a really cheap rate and it was a nightmare and we had to extend and it was a mess. It didn't close. Never, or it didn't close, even worse, right? But let's say it did close, but it was a mess. At the end of it, what does the buyer say? I don't want to ever talk to my agent again. I don't want to ever talk to that lender again. Never, never. In fact, they're not not only getting a referral, they're going to get a determent. Like, do not, whoever you use, don't use them. So that's what you get. And you can't have both. And so where we fall is we're very competitive. But are we the cheapest? Absolutely not. You can go online, Lindsay, like you just said, Lime, you know, Lending Tree, and you can find these low rates. But you've got a loan officer sitting in a cubicle in Maryland that doesn't care, has no relationship. And it's just a numbers thing. And, you know, that loan officer's getting, you know, compensated, but he's like, hey, I didn't close. No big deal. Right. I'm not I don't have I don't have buying relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a combination. And then you've got the broker that might be working out of his or her basement, just being a broker, you know, not saying that there aren't guys and gals out there that can do a good job, but you could be limited based on the type of follow-up and support you're going to get from your lender. If you're only closing two transactions a month, mm-hmm. they're not going to drop. When you reach out and say, hey, I have a problem with this one loan I have with you, they're going to go, uh, yeah, get in line, right? right. Whereas a direct lender, um, whether it's you know us or there's some other good ones out there too, you know, that have it all in-house that really offer the, the, the breadth of products, like the buy-downs and everything, and then many other things and that service level. I mean, it's, so, it's a balance. I want to um, touch on interest rates. So as your clients are shopping around online or calling around, they're going to get whatever interest rate that they want to see. They're going to find it. But what they're not going to see is all the exorbitant fees that are charged on the back end to get it to that rate. So it's never going to be an apples to apples comparison between whatever lender you choose and you know, your preferred lenders. Like there's a lot of hidden shit on there. And as good as we are as salespeople, lenders are good salespeople too. Um, unless you're comparing a good favor, um, you're not going to know, you know, if it's an equal thing or not. And for the most part, most rates are going to be comparable to each other, but the main differentiator is, are they charging, you know, an origination fee? Are they charging all of these exorbitant bullshit fees on the back end that you're not going to see until the closing table, or you're not going to realize it's being rolled into your loan. You have to see all of those fees up front. And as an agent, I'm of the school of thought that I want to see it because I've done a lot more transactions in my lifetime personally mm-hmm. than my clients have. Mm-hmm. And so I know what to look for. And so if it's a lender that they've brought in, 
I will allow them to use their lender, of course, but I want to see what those fees look like. Because if there's anything exorbitant or anything that doesn't jive with what my lenders are doing, like I want to at least be able to advise them that way. Um, a lot of realtors stay out of it and just pass it off. That's fine, but they're not going to remember you later um, for saving them $15,000 of back-end bullshit. Um, you know, they're going to remember if you help them, you know, not just passing it off. Like this is the type of market where you're going to start seeing more predatory st stuff. You're going to start seeing a lot more of those like pop-up lenders. It's like, it's like um, when we have a hailstorm and like all the roofing companies come in, yep. now our market's changing. And so there's always like that one person that shows up or like this random company that just changed their name on the building that all of a sudden they have the best rates in town, but no one realizes that all of these fees are tacked onto the back until they get to closing. And you're like, why is there like $30,000 of crap on here that I didn't realize? Oh, that's how they made their money. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's always too good to be true. Just so you know, it's always yes. too good to be true. No, I, I, that's, that was well said. And again, I applaud you again for really taking that approach, you know, really reviewing and using your expert, you know, your, expertise on the real estate side and your experience on lending to be able to say, you know what, I've seen a few of these. I know what to look for and really some, you know, so send me that, you know, loan estimate from Lime or whatever lender they referred and let me look and make sure you're at least getting a decent deal. And there's not a ton of fees on here. I love it. Great. What Great would you, deal. if you don't know how to look for Mike, how, what would you tell people to ask for and look for? Any lender fee that, and, 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 and the loan estimate is, set up to where the upper left section is where all the negotiable fees are, right? So lender fees are origination, a discount for the rate, processing, underwriting, doc prep, things like that, that lenders can charge in there. And those are the variable negotiable fees. The rest of the closing costs in a loan are, are set. Title is already set. So it's going to be the same exact. Appraisal is going to be similar right? I mean, it's 650 bucks or so on a conforming 750 for VA. VA charges everybody the same. Um, and then, you know, the county is going to charge the same, you know, and then you have escrows and all. So everything's, that's all identical. So it's that top left. It's the origination box on the loan estimate that I always direct buyers to. And, and what I do, I mean, I love meeting in person's kind of gone away. I used to do that for years, but I'm doing more Zoom now and people are really responsive to it. And I get on what we're doing and I literally screen share fees and rates and say, here's the what they look like, right? I can get you today, it's seven, but I can still get you six. Do you wanna pay that? And here's the savings difference versus 6.875 or seven and you don't pay anything. Here's the payment difference there. And this is where that education comes in, where a lot of lenders just advertise, hey, I can get you 599 and they, Oh, great. And then, like you said, Angela, you know, like got, you know, X number of dollars in fees, a ton of fees, which is a real loan. $600 doc prep fee. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. And an no, email fee of $500. Like, what the? <laughs> yeah, always, I, you can always look at APR too versus the interest rate because APR is the rate that includes all the fees that they're being charged versus yeah. the interest rate is like what the actual interest rate of their loan is. So, like, I'm just making shit up, but let's say that one lender, you're looking at their loan estimate and their their interest rate is 599, but their APR is seven. 
And then another lender, their interest rate is 599, but their APR is 6.5. That lender is the better deal, right? Because the higher the APR versus interest rate, the more the client is being charged in fees. That was perfect. Literally, that was the great explanation. The bigger the spread between APR and the note rate, the higher the cost loan. And so, you know, what's funny is I, um, there's not as much, but there used to be a ton of radio ads for lenders, right? Advertising rates. I listen to sports talk a lot. I'm trying to listen to books, eBooks, you know, while I'm driving a little bit more to better myself, but I get hung up. It's I'm a huge Bronco fan. So I'm like, like everybody else. So they advertise on there a lot, like these lenders. And it's funny. I'll listen and they'll advertise these super low rates. And then I'll listen to the disclaimer at the end. That's real fast. And of course, no one can understand it except for me because I can, you know, follow. It's like in another language, but it's usually like a 15 year fixed with a huge APR. And I'm like, and I mean, I'm just like this lender's advertising this low rate with a huge, and it's a 15 year. So people call and go, well, I go on a 30 year. Oh, well, here's your rate for that. You know, just to get them to come in the door, you know, and, and the strategy behind it, I believe is it's a lot of work to get a loan, right? So what happens is people do an application, they upload all their documents, you know, they go through all this pain and they dig through the crevices of their financial lives, which no one likes to do, even the most qualified people. And then they're with a lender and then they go, ah, I'm just going to try to figure it out with this lender. I'm not going to switch gears and go to another lender. It's too hard. It's too much work. So that's the hope that a lot of lenders do is they've kind of get them in with this low rate, get them off the streets, as it were, get all their info. And then they hit them with the reality of, well, no, oh, you don't want to pay 15 grand. Here's the rate. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, we don't, good lenders don't do that. We don't do that. We, you know, hit them straight with, here's what the different options are. Right. And we're never going to disclose. So if I get a contract, let's say a contract, the first conversation is the process, but it's also like, here are the choices. Here's your pricing. How do you want it set up? And that's how I disclose it to them. So when they get their loan estimate and their paperwork, they're like, this is exactly what Mike and I talked about. Boom, 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 boom. It's what I was expecting, right? You know, whether the rate's locked or not, that type of thing. So. Oh, oh, so many questions. Okay. Uh, let's talk about rate locks really fast. And then let's talk about what happens next. Um, since you brought up locks, explain we have a lot of people who are newly licensed um national association of realtors came out earlier this year and said 90 percent. i keep like i say this stat every tuesday because it literally keeps just blowing my freaking mind 90 percent 90 percent, almost 100 percent of all real estate agents working in the market right now have never worked in a market where rates are above four percent or houses stay on the market 14 days or longer mind-blowing so what is the rate yeah, insanity. What is a rate lock? Um, how do you get one? Can you do it before you're under contract? Only once. Like, to explain rate locks and why people need to be paying hyper close attention to that as agents. A- absolutely. So, typically, you cannot lock in your interest rate in a normal situation, normal program, until you're under contract because it's based on the property. So, I mean, basically, contract comes in, you can lock, and it's you know, it's the click of a button, right? It's not this big ordeal. It's just a verbal, go ahead, I like the rate, the cost, let's lock, boom. That's easy to do. And typically it's over a 30, 45, 60, 75 day period in a normal rate lock, right? 
I'll talk about, I keep saying normal because we have an extended lock and a lock and shop program, which is unique. But so what happens is they get a contract and let's say they're closing in 40 days, right? And today I'm having that conversation. Congratulations, blah, blah, here are the rates. I cannot lock them on a 30 day lock because it has to fund within that 30 days, uh-huh. right? The lower the lock period, the better the pricing. So a 30 day lock has better pricing rates, costs than a 60 day lock, right? So as a loan officer, you have to be cognitive. You have to be aware of that. You say, Hey, you're not closing for 40 days. We have to lock you on a 45 day lock, right? Or if they're 28 day closing, you know, few months ago, it was a 12 day closing, right? The contracts. So that's okay too. But you know, then we can lock them on, you know, a 30 day. So it's important that we are aware of that, right? And we price it accordingly. So um, that's pretty standard, pretty straightforward. We always recommend locking as soon as they're comfortable with it because of the market volatility. It's kind of easy because it seems like every time we lock a week or two later, we can check in and say your rate's lower than what it would be today. So once you lock, you're set, you're protected. So let's say you lock today at 6.875 and the rates go keep going up. And two weeks from now, they're at seven and a quarter for the same kind of deal. That borrower is secure at that rate. If they choose to not lock, that's fine. We can process their loan without locking. It's called floating the rate. And we can get the in the underwriting. We can order the appraisal. We can do everything up until about a week before closing. Then they have to lock. At that point, they're subject to whatever the market does, right? So it's pretty straightforward. It's like you make a commitment. I always equate it to like, have you ever bought a stock? Have you ever bought stock? I don't care what it is, right? You say you went online or you called, hey, I want to buy 10 shares of whatever, Facebook. Whatever it is, the price that that day is what you buy it at. If you wait till the next day to buy that stock, you can't, and it went up, you can't go back and buy it at the price it was the day before. You got to buy it at that price. But if it went down, you're like, sweet, I buy it for lower because that's the idea. Well, same thing with rates. Once you lock, you're subject to the market. So I have that conversation. It's really important that they understand that, the timing and that, you know, once you're locked, you're set, right? You're, you're locked in. You've made a commitment. We can't change it. I think this is a huge differentiating factor with agents right now. Like, I mean, we don't expect or want, by the way, agents to be loan officers. Like, that's not what we're saying. But we are saying in today's market right now, you need to be really aware of the number one factor that's keeping people from buying and selling, which is interest rates. So, I mean, with my buyers, right, like I'm getting a rate sheet every day from my preferred lenders. I'm looking things up, right? And as I'm negotiating, like this is actually how it works, right? Like we're negotiating a deal on a house that may take us a week now where, you know, it was five minutes, uh, three yeah, months yeah. ago. But in that week, we, there comes a conversation or while they're looking at houses, you know, I'm having conversations with them where it's like, hey guys, rates are expected to go up. You need to get under contract and lock ASAP. Like literally like we're under contract at 102 and at 103 your lender is locking your loan, right? Um, sure. Because you need to be aware that rates are really volatile and all, I mean, I literally, I think we're all having, um, if you're working with enough people, buyers go like, yeah, we're full blown. Let's, let's look, we're looking, we're doing the thing. And then all of a sudden rates go up a little bit and they're like, oh, we'll pull back and hang tight. Right. 
So like you need to be aware of what's happening with interest rates and talking with your lender all the time so that you can, I don't want to say like put pressure. That's not right. But you can be informative and let your buyers know when is the right time. Like, yeah, great. That seller isn't going to give you an extra five grand off the price. I don't care, but your rates are going to go up tomorrow. You need to go under contract now because that's going to be different. Yeah. And that goes back to great point. That goes back to what we had touched on about the lender you sat next to that. Oh, I pre-approved someone three months ago and now they're sticker shock or they don't qualify or whatever. As a lender, I mean, I, I call my pre-approvals every single week, every single week I call my pre-approvals and I call my agents associated with that pre-approval, right? Make sure they're up to speed. I reran the numbers. Hey, rates went up a little bit. I mean, they're legitimately shopping there or whatever their reason is, is they're taking a little bit of time and that's fine, but you can't control the rates, but you should be up to speed. So like, even if we qualified them at six and now we're at close to seven, it could only be not only a qualifying issue, but a, but a budget, right? A, you know, a payment threshold. They might say, I can qualify, but gosh, I didn't expect to have my payment that. I mean, they need to make those decisions. But there the was like, yeah, 100%. But there was, there was like a moment last week where rates or two weeks ago, whatever, they went up into the sevens and then they dropped back down into the sixes, right? So like I got four buyers under contract in that like few day period because I was like, hey guys, we need to go out and look right now before rates jump back up again. But if you don't know, if you're not receiving information from a good lender that's giving you that information, like you just missed a massive opportunity as an agent. Like, and we're not just talking about serving your clients in the correct way. We're talking about agents being in business or not right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, agents need to figure out ways to excel in a market that's more challenging or what I consider to be more normal. Um, and if you don't, you're going to get left by the wayside. Do you know that you don't have to take, like you can take a dollar earnest money. You don't have to take, you know, 1%. And honestly, a dollar is way easier for a lender to source than, you know, 1% of the purchase price because then they have to sure. source where funds came from and it'll take longer to close. So you'll always notice that my earnest money uh, requested is always less than 1% um, so that we can close sooner than later. Um, and I try to do that and explain that to the buyer's agent when they write an offer that's earnest money of $6,000 when I only asked for four. I don't want $6,000. I'd rather your lender not have that objection. Um, that comes with understanding a market like this. Like I'd rather have a house fully approved and a loan ready to go. And we'd be waiting for closing for a week than the opposite right now. Like I do not want to put a house back on the market after it's been under contract. Like I just want to get to the closing table. And I think that the more control you have over that, the better. Um, like I'm going to, I'm going to approach two of my sellers today, like, and say, Hey, I'd rather take $1 earnest money than take, you know, the $10,000 because these are million dollar homes. Um, I think that that will help at least get more people in the door and get mm -hmm. more people to view the house. Seller's not yeah. keeping that earnest money anyways, let's be honest. Right. At least not in Colorado where contracts yet. Have ever been involved? They're going to cancel and get their money back. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar or a million. Exactly. Um, so why not just take that objection off the table like i don't we have a lot of military folks here and i was prior military so i know like sometimes money is hard to come by groceries are freaking expensive the last thing i need is for somebody that's qualified on paper but doesn't have a ton of money in their account right now because they're paying bah to you know the military 
sure. to not be able to buy a house because they only have, you know, $40 in their, in their savings account right now. Like yeah. I'd rather them be able to still buy the house and close on it and not be affected, have the seller pay their closing costs and they can literally walk away with a dollar out of pocket and get it back at closing. I like, love that. I love that. I think it's great. I think you guys, I mean, I'm just so impressed with, and obviously your suit, you guys are both super success, successful and have for many years. But I think what you're talking about here is really in this day and age, the current market, 90% of these agents that out there that's never experienced anything similar to this, you've yeah. got to really be full service, yeah. right? To your, to your buyers, sellers, and both. So that means really partner with, I mean, lending and real estate, they're, they're together. Right. And for a long time, it's always been this kind of ancillary type, well, lenders. And then, you know, things, there's a hiccup, you know, oh, it's the lender, it's the lender. And it's like, we'll have some knowledge and some partnership on that and find a good lender or two or whatever that give you information, that educate you, that let them come in and meet you and meet your team and educate you and get online and do presentations. They probably have a little bit more time right now. So go into your loan officer's office or meet for, take the damn coffee date and sit yeah. down and say like, what do I need to know? How do I read a good a loan estimate, a good faith estimate? Like yeah. how do I tell whether or not my clients are getting a good deal? How do I know if I get a list, a pre approval on my listing and it's bullshit or it's real, like sit down with your, your lender should be, that's like your A team. Like yeah. I, you should talk to your lender all the time. You know, um, how do I, how, what, what are you? Are you direct? Are you a broker? Are you a bank? Like what, you know, ask all those, or I don't even know what questions I'm supposed to ask. Can you help me figure out what I need to know? What is a lock? What's a lock and shop? Go back to lock and shop. Okay. Yep. And I agree real quick on that. Like, yes, bring your lender into the fold, like in the most successful groups and teams and even one or two agents I've worked with over the years have always done that. Like when I partner with them, they say, you know what, Mike, we make time for you weekly. I know you have an hour meeting every week and or hour and a half and you go through a bunch of stuff, but if it's like, get the lender in, get them out as fast as possible or let them come in like once a month, it's not going to be very effective. And it's such an integral part of not only knowing how to structure, how to read LEs, but also how to, um, you know, work a two-one buy down or whatever to your advantage. So agreed, a hundred percent on that. All right, lock and shock. So New American Funding has a fairly unique program where what we can do is we can lock a buyer in on an interest rate today before they're even found the house. Huh. So we can do, yeah, we can do up to a four month lock and then we apply that lock. So we secure the money for them. Say they're like, you know what? My purchase price is 600. I'm putting 20% down, whatever. Boom. We lock in that amount on a property to be determined and they go out and shop, lock and shop. And the cool thing is, is the rate is secured today. So let's say they're under contract two months from now and the rates are higher. They're golden. Okay, we close with that rate. In the event, now the, the, the logical question is, what if rates go down, right? Well, we'll let them float down one time within 30 days of closing. So we give them that option where they can float down and take advantage of the market in the event that it does go down. You know, let's all hope, but you never know. That day will come and there'll be buyers in that period. I don't think it's happening now, but that's what we've got to offer. So it's just another tool to say, hey, for the buyer that's really freaked out, like, oh, man, 
or gosh, you've got a person that, you know, if they're motivated and they're in the car with, with Lindsay or Angela and they're driving around looking for houses, maybe they're not as worried about it. But if you got a buyer that's like, you know, what, I'm buying a house, but gosh, I got to wait until I get my bonus at the end of the year. And it's October. Gosh, why not lock now? And you're set, you're protected and you know what your payment's going to be. Right. I'm comfortable with it. I may not like it because no one likes rates where they are, but gosh, I can make it. I'm comfortable. I'm qualified. Awesome. Move forward. So that's what we have. It's fairly unique yeah, um, in the market. It's super. That's super really good, guys. Listen, call Mike if you have um, people who are going to sell and buy and they're doing that shit right now that's getting everybody in trouble where they're like, but I got to fix this thing and I got to do this thing. And I, I need to wait until my kids get past the Halloween party at school to put the house on the market and go out there and, and look at other things, right? So like that's, does it cost them anything up front? For the lock and shop? It does. There's a cost, there's a, um, it depends on how we price it, but it can be up to like a half a percent of the loan amount up front. But it's good know, it has stickiness too. It gets them committed. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason uh -huh. we do that is because we're securing that money. So in the event that they wouldn't close, we're not going to like, they don't have to pay the loan back because they didn't find a house right. or go under contract close. Or let's say they went with another lender, you know, yeah. that, and did whatever. It's just, it costs us money as a lender to secure that money in the market. We're going out and saying, hey, we'll hold that 400 grand for this borrower at today's rate. And then the rates go up. Now, we will release seems, that, it know. seems funny, but that's really happening. Like I have had real life scenarios in the last couple months where like my clients are like, well, I have to do this thing and this thing and this thing. And then by the time that they get the freaking house on the market, which is anywhere from two days to two months right now, because rates are all over the place. They're like, oh my God, interest rates are up a percent, two percent, right? From So for those people that you have that are in your pipeline, but they're longer time frame, maybe a lock and shop is like a perfect um, idea for them. Cause yeah. I mean, what do you think happens next with rates? Mike, honestly, cause it's um, there's so much fear out there. It's like fear porn all day long. Yeah. What is going to actually like yesterday I was talking to somebody who said, Oh, we had a couple good days in the market, which anytime we have a good day right now means Powell's just going to hammer down and increase rates harder, which Paul is the chairman of the fed. But um, yeah. so what is going to happen? So we're in the high sixes, maybe low sevens right now. Mm -hmm. Where do we go yeah. from here? Well, that's obviously a great question. I knew we would get there. That's what everybody wants to know. First of all, anybody that sits here, myself included, anyone, anything you read, there has to be a level of humility with predicting what the rates will do because no one truly knows. So I want to preface by saying I don't 100% know. I have Mike Oswald's educated opinion based on what I read in the market and what I'm being told, what I read, and what I believe. So again, just want to preface that. Um, so yeah, we're at a, you know a 20 year high on rates. We're at seven percent, um, and it's due to the inflation. So until we get the inflation numbers under control. And we read all those numbers like 8.3% CPI, that type of thing. All that is, is a read on the rise from this year to last year on the consumer price index, which basically in a nutshell is what, what we all pay for everything that we need in life. They pull out a few things, but for the most part, food and, um, yeah. and other things for our house, living things. So those are, that's huge. 
coupled with the fact that our employment numbers are really good. So it's kind of a weird situation because there's, I read a stat and again, I see it occasionally still too, and it's, it's starting to, but there's two jobs for every unemployed person in America. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, why would unemployment being low be bad? What it does is causes an, a gap because of wages, because if I'm a person that goes and gets a job and I have other options, I can be lured and I go to this employer and say, you got to pay me five bucks more an hour or I'm leaving and I got another job doing that, you know, and there's a lot of choices and it really puts pressure on businesses. Um, and that's kind of putting it lightly. So what's happening is the, the feds actually want unemployment to go up, believe it or not. And so everyone's like, what? That's why someone, like I said, someone said to me yesterday, well, the unemployment numbers came out and they looked really good. So that means Powell's just going to raise the rate. Absolutely. And, and, and because inflation, 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 we got to slow the economy down. And it's a combination of everything, you know, but honestly, we need to pop, really pull back. So it's like we have to feel a little bit of pain as we go through all this to get those inflationary numbers down. And the, the idea, and there's a lot of like Fannie Mae predicts that sometime mid to late 2023 rates will be in the fours. You can find that online. That's how I, you know, that's what buyers saying that buyers. Well, and the, oh, oh my God, this whole conversation makes me so mad. We could take three hours talking about this, but I keep hearing that from buyers. They're like, well, we're just going to wait until what Fannie Mae says happens, happens. But don't forget that we're 5 million to 7 million housing units short across the entire United States, right? Our inventory is still nothing. So what happens when rates go back down to 4%? Anyone? The market's going to explode. It's going to be like it was last spring. You know, this or, is you know, your window to buy. 100%. Yeah. Get a two-month buy-down for six months and then refinance your house when rates are better. Yeah. So I believe 100% that we're going to see lower rates in the foreseeable future. And I, my future, my window is before the general election of 2024. So right. what is that? Two years from now? Like literally two years and three weeks? So we will Just see enough to get through two on buy down. Yeah. And so what I that's what I have conversations with my buyers is the buy down is key. Let that seller buy your rate down, save a take thousands of dollars, thousands. Then yeah. when the rates go down, we'll refi you. So here's a kicker on the buy down we didn't talk about. It's a huge benefit. So let's say the, I'm a buyer and I do a two one. I'm working, you know, Lindsay's got the listing, you know, listing, and that seller agrees to give me. $12,000 to buy down my rate. I'm going to save 12 grand over those two years. Okay. So let's say, great. I move along. I close halfway through my buy down period. So I've saved six grand. I rates drop to five and I, my lender calls and I refi. Well, now I'm out of that buy down. Now I'm in a regular 30 year fix with no buy down. Well, gosh, what happened to that money? I was supposed to save 12 grand. The seller gave me 12. What happens? Well, what we do as the lender is we hold that 12 grand. And every month we supplement the payment to make the full payment that the buyer makes between the note rate and their buy down rate. If there's whatever's left in there, we apply it to the new loan on the refinance. Hmm. So let's I say there's that. Wow. Yeah, no one does. So that six grand gets applied to a principal reduction when they refi. They don't ever lose that money because wow. it's a concession from the seller. So literally the, the, the schematics are, we take that 12 grand and put it in an escrow account as a lender and we hold it. 
And the payment is really 6.75, but we only charge the borrower 4.75. And the difference, let's say it's 500 bucks. The borrower pays their 2,500. We take 500 bucks out of the 12 grand and make the payment. We do that month one, month two, all the way through until the money's gone. And then they do their note rate for the life of the loan, you know, theoretically. By refinancing, whatever's left, we give it to them. I mean, it's the biggest benefit that buyers have had since rates were at three, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, it, as an agent, this is, gosh, if you're not, they're not overpaying for the house for once they're getting houses under asking price and they're getting the seller to pay down a buy down and the interest rates might be way better in March. And basically the seller is just going to pay you to take that and then refinance it. And you're still going to get that money too. Like, why aren't you buying? Why is it everyone buying? Well, there are people buying. The rich people are buying because they know what's going on. So the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer because they are terrified of interest rates and are not asking enough questions or not working with a realtor that will answer those. And agents will just keep standing up there on their Facebook pages telling everybody how this is the the worst yeah it's so crazy i know it's it's so i mean uh yeah you gotta you gotta go buy a house if you're in the market think about buying your first house get out there and buy it i mean honestly if you could qualify and you can make the payment i mean yeah it's not like where it was it's higher but do the buy down take advantage of it because if you believe rates are going to come down even if they come down a point right you're going to go from six seven five to five seven five that saves a ton of money and so yeah. you can really transition in and make the sellers pay it. I mean, take advantage because when rates go down, even if they go down a point, right? And we just talked about it. What's the market going to do? It's going to explode because of all the pent up demand and all the lack of inventory. It's yeah. I mean, God, God save us if rates go to four and a half. It's going to yeah. be another bloodbath. It's oh, gonna absolutely. Be, I'm going to be out pitching my cash buyer program because now everybody's going to have to pay cash because no one can get their offer accepted because they're contingent and it'll be like contingency. No way. Forget it. FHA. No way. VA. No way. Right. Just like it was. Right. And, um, and so that's going to happen. And so buy your house now. In fact, and let me throw this in. Remember we talked about stated income. Mm -hmm. Well, new American funding, we have a no income, no employment loan. I know. Flashback to, you know, no, it's done differently. We, you got to have at least 20% down primary or second home. Got to have good credit, you know, but it's. But I want to bring up, yes, this is not like agents also like need to get educated on the fact you need to figure out what actually happened in 2007, 2008 and stop making everybody afraid. Um, but these are great loans for people like, hello, real estate agents, uh, or people who are self-employed. And, you know, who can afford to buy in this market right now? People who have a shitload of money, uh, people who own their own businesses, but people who maybe write off too much on taxes, right? So, um, like, a stated income loan doesn't mean that you're going to see your buyers foreclose in five years and they're going to hate you it just means for the right buyer that there's a loan product out there that fits them thank god because we've had a lot of buyers that haven't been able to buy because of lending tightening up so much 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, for example, the guy who used this loan, I mean, his rate was higher because it's a no income loan, but he was transitioning. He was self-employed. He had a bad year because of whatever he moved from Florida. So once he files his 2022 taxes, he's going to turn around and refinance and and he's going to get a lower rate no matter what. But what he did was he identified and agreed with the fact that he's getting the house for for a bargain. So he's like, I'm going to get tons of equity when the market turns. And I'm going to drop into a lower rate and they're going to drop. I mean, they're all these things. And he was a believer. And so that's that's what you have to do. Or if you're just a full document loan for, you know, buyer, you don't need the special loan. Got to be a believer that take advantage of this market that where it's wow. at. Yes, the rate, the rates. So we have that expression. You guys might have heard it. You marry the house mm-hmm. and you date the rate. Marry the house, date the rates. So you buy in the house. It's yours. You're going to be in there for however long you want. And you're getting a great deal on it and the rates transitory it's going to come down they're gonna come down i mean they historic i could show a graph they come they go up and down so whether you believe it's 2023 2024 whatever they're gonna come down but you're gonna have all this equity that you've gained because you know people will also start just let's say rates don't go down let's just play the devil's advocate let's say rates stay with seven seven ish for the next five years what's going to happen Eventually, all this pent up demand, people get used to it, right? It becomes the new norm, right? And so buyers will just say, you know what? It is what it is. I want to buy a house because I'm sitting on the sidelines, living with family, renting an apartment that keeps going up. I've had now my second kid. I need a house, right? They're just going to enter the market and you're going to see appreciation, right? Yeah, we've talked about that too, the cycle of disruption, right? Something comes into the market and disrupts it, which is, I mean, same thing with like, let's talk about gas prices really quick. Gas prices went way up. People stopped like my camping crew this summer. We had people stop coming camping with us for the first time in like five, six years because they were like, I don't want to spend the gas on the truck and the camper. Um, You know, and then all of a sudden we got kind of used to the fact that gas prices were where they were and people started driving again because you have to drive your car. Right. And then something else is going to come in and disrupt and it's going to do the whole thing over and over and over again. It just blows my mind that which is a testament to the fact that 90 percent of people who work in this business have never seen this before. It blows my mind that the expectation became that you sell in three days yeah. or that rates would be three, three percent. I mean, I just think. Yeah. I don't know. It's not a good thing. I don't get it. I mean, I get it for the younger people that have never bought and sold maybe before, but like I even speak to like older people who've been through market cycles and I'm like, well, how many times have you sold a house? Like seven times. Well, how many times did it sell in two days? Well, never. I mean, it's yeah. like, I don't understand. It's so crazy to me. Um, yeah. And I don't get why everybody was like, we just need a break in the market all the buyers we just need like this much if we could just not pay a hundred thousand dollars over asking that would be amazing cool well now you can get it a hundred thousand under asking so why aren't you buying it's a buyer's market where the fuck are the buyers it's making yeah. it easy but we it's because we're not doing it the right job educating them right yeah totally. exactly you I, should be with like your- honestly right now as real estate agents like i'm honestly considering i i just closed on my house uh in January, but I renovated the entire thing. I'm thinking about doing a cash out refi uh, because I've got probably six to $700,000 of equity in my house now um, and taking that money and buying a couple more homes because it's still cheaper for me to borrow that money at 7% uh, 
um, to then grow my wealth massively right now. Like, why aren't people doing that? Because they're afraid of refinancing their house at 7%? Who fucking cares? Your house has literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity sitting in it that you can't get to. You could be growing your wealth right now, but you're not. You're afraid. So the people that aren't afraid of that risk are the ones that are going to be really, really, really wealthy in the next three years. Yeah. But they're going to be the people that are furious that now they have three, four or five hundred thousand dollars worth of equity because they bought in late 2022 and by 2024, you know. Yeah. But I think you need to agents going back to agent education. We're not educating people correctly. If you are afraid that the interest rate is above four percent, shame on you. If you are afraid that houses are sitting on the market 30 days, shame on you. Like you need to get unafraid. That's a normal market. That's what it is. You need to go out and talk to people who have had experience in markets like this, get educated and talk to your lender. Like the minute that rates drop, you should be calling every buyer that you have and telling them to go out and look, but you don't, you're not going to know that if you don't have a mic on your team, if you don't have a preferred lender that is giving you accurate, real information, get off the news and get on to, you know, yeah, this is what real life is is here whatever you're hearing on the news is like from six or seven months ago or not accurate or fear-mongering or whatever most of the people that work for the news company aren't even homeowners so i wouldn't even listen to what their opinion is to be honest (laughs) they would work in new york city yeah also that should be your first question to the realtor you're interviewing is do you own your home or are you a renter yeah that drives me crazy yeah like if you're not sold on what you're selling to people yourself what are you doing no, the same thing with loan officers too, you know, living in an yeah. apartment. I mean, you know, I get it right after the crash. There was a lot of that that went on because there's a lot of folks that right. got humbled financially, but now it's like, come on. Yeah. So and it's now about you should be building your business and building your wealth for the future. And I'm a huge believer in education. And I think that's been the theme of our conversation or a big part of it. And I'm a huge, I love education. In fact, I always joke, like if I could teach history and coach football in high school, and make the money that I need and want to make, um, I would, but I don't. So unfortunately, I never went that way. But I'll bring that with me. I'm an educator. I get down in the trench with people, and I, I say, I'm going to teach you what you want to learn. And let's. And I love doing that with agents and the ones that are receptive to it. And I believe that you will not survive unless you expand your knowledge and yeah. partner with someone that not only has the willingness but the ability to to give you information that you can learn and retain. And don't be afraid to, you know, partner up with lenders that, um, or other sources that can help you grow, you know, and learn. Cause you've got to be able to be an expert now. It's no longer like those 90%, like put a house in the market and it, you get so many contracts, you can't even review them. I mean, like, yeah. honestly, anybody. Selling real estate and like, go back to all the conversations that we had about overcoming the objection that a realtor isn't worth their commission. Sorry, you guys, you weren't. You weren't selling shit. You were literally just waiting for someone to offer you $500,000 above asking. Like this is when you learn how to sell. Um, but Mike, real quick, and then we'll we'll end this for the day. But like, I guess, um, how do you overcome the objection? Oh, rates are too high or, oh my God, that rate is scary or whatever, when you're talking to your clients so that agents can maybe learn how like a loan officer talks to people about the current rate market right now. The return on the investment on the property is huge. And also the reason they're buying, like 
I'll ask people, why are you buying a house? How many realtors do that? Yeah. So my, Lindsay, I'm entering the market. I'm you're the first agent I've ever talked to. Great. What do you want to buy? A three bedroom in Aurora and this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. You're currently renting. Those are all great questions, but like, why do you want to buy a house? What mm -hmm. is driving you? What caused you to get out of bed this morning, turn to your wife or husband and say, you know what? Let's buy a house. Let's quit renting. I mean, what is the cause of that? And there's a million reasons and, and they're all valid to them. Right. And they've got to get into that, you know, like what is the reason? And so then that helps kind of overcome that. Oh, these high rates. It's all about payment too. Are you comfortable with that payment? Is that something you can do? And you compare it to the rent, you compare it to lifestyle, you know, that type of thing, you know, like, and so we'll get into a lot of that and make sure that it's something they can afford. Like we don't lead with rate. We lead with payment. Right. And so, you know, first time home buyers is really, it's a lot easier because they don't have that past of like, well, my current mortgage or my previous mortgage, you know, but it's about payment. It's about lifestyle. It's about why do you want to buy the first house or the new house or the bigger house or the smaller house? Why? What's driving that? And that's really the main point of the conversation. Payment's important. Rate's important. It's important to get involved in those details. I mean, it's financial decision, but buying your home, you know, um, and that's kind of how we get around, you know, not get around it, but that's how we have a more rounded conversation than just rate. I'm scared of that 7% rate. Well, why? It's like, and I hate to bring up car salesmen because everyone will say realtors and lenders are car salesmen, but you know, <laughs> when you go to the car dealership and they're like, if I could get you this payment today, would you buy this car? I never tell you what the price of the car is. Like who's ever bought a car and you know what you actually paid for the car? No one. It's all about, unless you're buying cash, it's all about the payment. Like, no, I don't like that. Knock another $10 off a month, a month you know? Um, so yeah, I like that. Can you afford the payment? What's the motivation? Yeah. Why are you buying? I mean, I, I would, I would challenge any agent. Um, like, do you ask that question? What caused you to pick up the phone today? And call me. What caused you to go online and fill that out? Why do you want to buy a house? I mean, why? I mean, you don't say it in a way like, why the heck do you want to buy a house? But it's just like, why? What's, and you can ask it in different ways and kind of through conversation um, and rapport building. But at the end of the day, that's really the motivator factor, right? That's the reason, right? I didn't wake up one day and go, rates are seven. We should just get out there and buy a house before they get to nine. You know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, that can be a driver if they've already entered the market, like you referenced, Lindsay, and you use that effectively. But, and that's smart because the decision's already been made. Now it's like, how do you navigate the best, right? Yeah. How do you navigate, you know, do you use the buy down, do you use the temporary buy down? Do you permanently buy down your rate? You know, do you do different things? Do you do an arm, you know, different things that help you, but your decision of buying the home has really already been made. Yeah. Yeah. Are they going to go to nine? Are we going to see nine? No. What do you is before they drop? You know, there's, uh, I mean, go online. You can find what you want, right? There are, right. A, I hear eight, eight, yep, eight, nine. There's some people say they're going to go to 10, you know, and like, I know it's crazy. I don't want to say that. But I don't believe that. But I mean, it's just like the internet, go online, you find what you find, you know, whatever you want, you know, like, smoking and be is very careful. You know? It's true. But be very like, did you hear? Did everybody hear Mike caveat what he said? about rates like be very careful so another true thing that i heard happen i was at starbucks and i was listening there's a real uh, loan officer in the line ahead of me 
and she had her clients on speakerphone and the clients kept saying, but this payment is so high. And she kept saying, I guarantee, she was using that word over and over and over again. I guarantee you rates are going to be back down into the forest by the first quarter. So all you need to do is afford this payment from now until you know January. Can you afford the payment now until January? And they were like, well, maybe. And they were like, but our agent said something about a buy down. And she was like, no, don't waste your equity buying the rate down because I guarantee you that rates are gonna be back in the fours by January. Be very careful with what you're saying to people right now. That's how we get into actual trouble. So Mike said it very well. Um, there's a, uh, The reason I brought it up is I've seen a lot of agents saying stuff on online like, you should buy right now because I guarantee rates are gonna be in the eights, the nines, the tens, you know? So just be careful with what you're saying because we don't know. It's irresponsible. Yeah. Very. Yeah, you gotta be responsible. Like I said, you know, I caveat with, I don't know, no one does. And right. guaranteeing anything, oof, man. I, I guess you could guarantee that rates will come down eventually because historically you can look at a graph, but is that 10 years from now? I mean, do they get to 15 and then drop? You know, I again, you know, I, think I don't the one really... thing that we have in our favor is an upcoming election in the next two years. And if someone wants to have any chance in hell at a re-election, they might want to get their shit together. I agree 100 percent. I mean, don't lose sight in, in of the political. I don't care what it's side. Mastermind that's happening and there's strings being well, pulled behind the scenes. It would, yeah. So I look at it like this, you know, with the current rates, current price of gas, current everything, I mean, they are hustling to try to get inflation under control so they can drive rates down. Because right now, if the current administration had to go to, the, you know, get reelected, would they get reelected based on all that? Absolutely not. Now, there's other talk out there about, you know, whatever the other issues are, which is great. They're all valid. But at the end of the day, they do not want that. They want rates to come down. So they can right. get reelected. Even There's got to be a knight in shining armor or whatever. Well, maybe yeah. they should stop spending trillions of dollars every five seconds. Just a thought. But. Yeah, I know. Now we're starting to, you know, go down that. Look over here. Board, I would love to here. go down with you. I'm, I, I, I get. I, I get very to, diplomatic. Very if diplomatic. If I'm in a lull, if I if I'm like feeling like I just turn on the news and boom, I'm put, you know, fired up, ready to go. You know, it's like a sure. shot of double espresso. You know, it's like right to the main vein, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, no. But no, one other thing we got to keep in mind too is, you know, in our business is the mindset. You know, just really, you know, you two exemplify that. You know, just positive education, truth, you know, reality, um, but also, you know, hard work and really change of how you approach, you know, and, um, and I think being the drivers of that, doing what you do here, doing this, you know, the, the, um, this podcast every week. I mean, it's just, you know, my hat's off to you. I applaud you. I mean, it's just so cool that you do this. You give this freely out to everybody. And, and I think that it's, it's awesome. It's incredible. So congratulations to both of you. And, well, you know, I mean, National Association of Realtors says that they predict that 50% of real estate agents will be out of business in the next two years. We don't want to see that yeah. happen. Like yeah. that's heartbreaking that that's somebody who, I mean, you guys saw it. We were all three in the business during the crash. Yeah. That's heartbreaking what that does to people and yeah, their, dreams and their families. 100%. That's not okay. Um, it's horrible. To, yeah. So, you know, for the agents that wish that that happens so that their competition level is less, shame on you. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, everybody needs to go find their mic. Uh, we'll put Mike's contact information in the chat. Um, but you know, you need to find your lender, get educated, um, you know, really get your pulse on what's happening with rates because they're changing like minute by minute, day by day. Um, you know, make sure you have an A team. It's going to help you get through this. Yeah. Absolutely. An A team like the two of you, for sure, as well. So um, I couldn't uh, echo everything what you just said more. So um, I appreciate you letting me be on with you. This has been a, I've had a great time. I haven't had this much fun in a long time. So this has been great. You guys were super mild. I expected it to be a little bit more crazy, but uh, maybe I caught you guys down there. You know, a couple of, uh, you know, early. your language was great. I hardly caught anything. I think yeah. I only dropped like one F bomb. That's a good yeah, thing. No, that's awesome. Wow, I was sure. expecting like double digits. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not hard. If we, would, if we were continuing down the train of like what is causing right. the great market, that's where the F bombs come in. So uh, we'll exactly. Exactly. And, and that's where we get hung up on like, that's not focusing on the solution. You know? But I and, do, I want to bring up that we did have an economist um, on the show a couple weeks ago, months ago. Um, and I'll post that link in the chat too, but you should go back and listen to that because that was an incredible episode. He explained what the Fed is, why they raise rates, what inflation is, how it works. Like that was knowledge for any agent. Like that was awesome. So go back and listen to that episode. I will. Yeah, I love that because I'm again, I'm no economist. I have a very vague, free, you know, high level understanding of it. Um, but I do groove on, you know, I can nerd out a little bit on the details. You know, yeah. For agents. I mean, I think that was, it was a huge learning. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. So go back. No, yeah. Well, how do you educate anyone else if you're not educated yourself? Right. Absolutely. You can't give, you can't give what you don't have. You've right. got to have, it doesn't mean you have to be an expert. You could be like, Hey, here's what I know. Maybe this will help you. And then they could say, well, gosh, this is my thought on that. Oh, wow. That helps me. You know, it's a collaboration, it's a community. So, and that's that's what you have here. This is awesome. This well, is thank awesome. you, Mike. Um, Mike can lend in all 48 states, minus the two weird ones. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, <laughs> minus the two weird ones. Yeah, Everybody exactly. across the country, call Mike if you need help. And we really appreciate you coming on. We'll see you guys next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Angela. Angela and Lindsay would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the homegirls on social media at The Real Homegirls Podcast.